All right, you guys. It's time for another Tennis Tragic Draw Show. The U.S. Open 2021 is about to begin. I'm on my way to New York. Woo! Not right now. Very, very slowly, I suppose, I'm on my way to New York. I fly on Monday, and I will get in Monday night, and then I'm going to be at the event Tuesday through Friday, which is exciting. I haven't been to live tennis in a couple of years. And yeah, what's what's the news? Uh, I guess the big thing is just like how many people are not playing at the U.S. Open. Feels like a little bit of a changing of the guard. Uh, no, no Serena, no Venus, no Roger, no Rafa. Yeah, big opportunity for a lot of players, but not really clear who's who's next up. Ash Barty looking really strong. She looks like she might be on the verge. Unclear about Osaka, how she's doing. And on the men's side, of course, Novak is still there, and he's going for the calendar slam, which is pretty awesome. That's going to be fun to watch. So I don't know. What are you guys excited about? Looking forward to the Open. Yeah, who else? And uh, I feel like there was a few other people who didn't make it in. Like uh, Sophia Kennan tested positive, and she's out. Is is um, Andreescu in this time, or is she out again? She is, but I, I have I've lost faith in Bianca. Yes, me too. Like I filled out a draw today, and I was like, I don't know. I don't see her getting past the third round. Like I just no. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I think that the deal with the devil is expired, and <laughs> yeah. something has changed for her. It's it's. Uh, I don't know if it's the body. It seems like she's in good enough shape to play, but she's just, you know, people keep saying like, oh, she doesn't have the match play. She doesn't, you know, she just needs a t- an opportunity to get on a roll. Her draw isn't bad, actually. She could get on a roll, but yeah, um, not sure about her. Who else is out? Um, Dominic Team is out for the rest of the year. Oh, yeah. Right. And he just won it last year. Yeah. So no defending champion on the men's side. He's having a real bad time. Because he was already having a bad time mentally and then he broke his wrist or whatever. Now he's having a real, real bad time. <laughs> it's crazy how quickly people kind of fall off the radar. You know, like Dominic Team, he won the US Open. He's a slam champion. He's like, he's competing hard at all these events. Always a threat. Winning Masters Series events. Like he's definitely going to win the French someday. And just like, yeah, he goes on a little walkabout and it's like, and, yeah. and then disappears for six months. And it's like, you don't even think about him. It's crazy. Yeah. You know who else I, I I think I saw a picture of him or something the other day and I was like, oh, I completely forgot about Kyle Edmund. Do you remember him? Yeah. yeah. What he happened was like to him? Top ten, and then in, is there like top ten or just outside top ten in, in 2019, I think. And then I think he's had some niggling injuries and he's just been out and he's just dropped dropped out of the picture. Here, here's Crazy. another one for you, uh, Yun Chung from Korea. Yeah, you remember that guy? Yeah, 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 he's he's in the hundreds now, ranked like two hundred in the world or something. Uh, I think he was a semi finalist at the Australian Open, and definitely at least a quarter finalist. And people were like comparing him to Djokovic. No, semi finalist. Yeah, semi finalist. Crazy. It's a brutal sport. You just yeah. If you can't keep that level up, and yeah, and I think we see that on the women's side a little bit more, right? Like I was looking at the draw, and one of the interesting first-round matches, not necessarily a match I'm excited about seeing, but Sloane Stevens playing Madison Keys in the first round. They're like besties, (laughs) but they played in the final like, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago. And it's like, damn, what happened? That's a rough first round, just emotionally for those two. Yeah. Kyle Edmund has a career-high singles ranking of world number 14. Was that, was that Matt Black? Uh, I, was trying to be, I was trying to be Davey Gravy. But... Trying to channel your inner Davey Gravy. It sounded like a robot. That was a really good performance, actually. Thank you. I can turn both of you guys into robots now. It's something our, our <laughs> audience can look forward to. I don't know if Alex is game. Yeah, I did on Sunday side, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, there's something a little creepy about it, right? It's yeah. like suddenly <laughs> I'll be able to put words into your mouth. Because it sounds so real. Your one sounds so real. It's, it's so crazy. natural. I'm like, that's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to do it to like all my friends. I showed Davy Gravy to to Molly's kids, like when we were on <laughs> vacation in Vermont, and they were just blown away. They couldn't believe it. That's the world they grow up in. You've had to spin some people out of like Hey, so like, did you enjoy the party last night? And they'd be like, what party? And they just play them a recording of all your friends having conversations and stuff. 
And we're like, whoa, did I black out? Like, <laughs> did I miss this party? <laughs> yeah. The possibilities are endless. Like, I'm thinking that maybe I could, like, you know, when when actual AI develops to the point where, like, I can have it read thousands of pages of writing mm. that I've written during the course of my life, like my journal entries, and then after I'm dead, um, <laughs> like, the AI can construct new journal entries based on, like, current events, <laughs> and then read them in my voice. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing keep, keep, keep you alive. yeah i love that yeah immortality is here but tennis immortality has left for some people right mm. um roger fed well roger Federer is an immortal in our hearts in our minds but it's kind of seems like the end it's kind of seems like the end i mean i don't i don't know you never want to like totally count these guys out and he, you know he has the will to work through rehab and get back, but he had a, he decided, he announced that he's having another knee surgery and he's out for a long time. And it's just hard to see him playing even another slam. I think, unfortunately. Yeah. Pour, pour one out for dear old Raj. Yeah. I can't see it happening. I know, I know he said he's got a glimmer of hope or anything, but I mean, I can't see him coming back and being competitive in any way. I, and I just feel like he wouldn't, I don't know. I get, you can't put words to his mouth or whatever, but you, you don't want to, you wouldn't want to be coming into tournaments right at the end of your career knowing that you're probably not going to go deep in them. Like, what is, what do you, I don't know. It just feels like it wouldn't be, wouldn't be something, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be a way to finish off a career, I don't think. Yeah, it feels like exhibitions are the way to go out, you know, like get some more like positive vibes, yeah. not play in that like intense crucible, like say, get to say goodbye Yeah. Uh, under his own terms in a way, but I don't know. I mean, he, you know, he made the quarterfinals at Wimbledon, even though he was obviously not at his best and, you know, kind of feels like he, he could have beaten Hercotch. Yeah. You can't discount that. He did go deep and he did play well after those other surgeries. So yeah, it's, it's possible, but what is he 40 now coming off like three knee surgeries, in two years. I just, it would be a miraculous comeback if he comes back and goes deep in a tournament. I would be so surprised. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I just think as well the um, athleticism that you need, the um, like the young, the young kids coming up, they just they've got so much energy and they can just play and play. Yeah, because um, I've been watching Gasquet at his in his run at um, Winston Salem, and he played. It's so hot there, you know, like it's really um, hot and humid, and he's thirty six or thirty five. He gave up in the last set um, against uh, um, who was he playing in that last match? He beat Garasimov, and then he played um, the the Danish or Finnish guy. What's the uh, oh, Rusevari? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like Rusevari is young. Um, after he lost the first set in a tiebreaker, he's like, you could just see he's like, oh, there's no way. I just can't do three sets. Um, my body's had it. Maybe if I won the first set, I'm I'd, I'd try in the second set, but um, sort of gave up. Yeah, it just shows you how amazing veterans had to have been to keep up with them until this point already. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the fact totally. that he's being the fact that he's been fending them off till thirty nine years old just shows you how amazing his tennis has actually had to be just to just to stay at that level and fight against twenty year olds. I think totally, and the consistency, right? Like the hmm. the energy that he has to put in the focus like year in year out i i think there was a period of time where he didn't miss a slam for something like 15 straight years like he yeah, we'll wild. have davy gravy check the stats but like he definitely made a quarterfinal in something like some obscene number of slams in a row federer played in 65 straight grand slam tournaments from the 2000 australian open to the 2016 australian open additionally he appeared in the semifinals or better at 23 consecutive slams and the quarterfinals are better at 36 consecutive slams. You know, I mean, some of the, like, that's, that is an, there's an element of luck there, which is just that some of these guys have bodies that hold up, right? Like, I mean, Novak's had some injuries, Rafa's had, they've all had some, but never of the kind like a Del Potro or something where it's like, wow, this guy was right there at the, at the top of the game and just his body failed him and wasn't able, you know, wasn't able to ever really reach that level again, you know, only mm -hmm. at glimpses. So yeah, it, it definitely, 
feels like an era is coming to a close. And, I, you know, I wonder how I'm going to feel about the sport. I think last time we were talking about how exciting it was that, like, things are going to change. We don't know what's coming in the men's game. But I, I was I was brought into the sport as a, like as a super fan kind of by the story of Federer and Nadal and Djokovic and kind of like this is the era for me. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's different and change is constant. And um, but I don't know. Like I look at the draw and I'm like, who's the who, where's the dark horse? You know, who's the kid that I'm excited about that's going to break through? You know, and I, I just have trouble seeing it. Although this, that next tier of guys who's been knocking on the door, like Medvedev, Tsitsipas, you know, uh, Zverev, uh, <laughs> I, I've been, you know, Zverev looks like he's putting it all together, right? Like he yeah. was totally dominant winning and uh, was it Montreal he won or, or Cincinnati? Um, I think Medvedev won, won Cincinnati and Zverev yeah, won Yeah, it must have been the other Montreal. one, Montreal, yeah. Are we entering the first Zverev age of darkness? That's that's what I'm wondering and and hoping that it's not the case. Yeah, he's looking like um, the other favorite, aside from obviously Djokovic on the men's side for the U.S. Open. Like the yeah for the U.S. Open, like he he won the Olympic gold medal as well, and he looks real good. But um, I can't separate. I just read the um, Rothenberg article about you know where Rothenberg interviews his ex-girlfriend and people around the abuse allegations. And um, yeah, it sounds complicated, but also it just sounds, sounds like not a very nice person. Yeah. Not a, not a guy I ever enjoyed watching as a tennis player. And, you know, I mean, there's yeah. always just like kind of a personal feel thing. Like, do you like somebody personally or not? And I never really was drawn to Zverev, but yeah, he hasn't aged well. You know, and then that story, I haven't read the Rothenberg piece yet. I really should. It's hard to kind of force yourself to, to look at that material sometimes. Yeah. I know. It's a bit depressing, you know, and it's like yeah. if the sport is dominated by people who are kind of jerks and not well, and not even just that, like, I don't really enjoy his game style. You know, he's, he's kind of one of these brutish big guys, you know, dominates with his serve. I mean, he's got more dimensions to his game for sure, but it's not. It's just not what I'm, I I tend to love watching. And so anyway, I mean, but it's also good to have villains, right? And, you know, for all these years that I've rooted heartily and lustily against Rafa Nadal, it's like Rafa's like a, for me, he's like a fun villain. Like he drives me nuts, but <laughs> it's hard to really hate him personally in quite the same way. Like I hate him because of, you know, because he beats everybody and he's relentless and he just never, like he seems almost inhuman in a way. Yeah, he doesn't seem like an actual jerk. And there's a big difference there, I think. Yeah, I wish there was someone coming up who was a bit of a, a bit of a jerk on court, but who's also an amazing tennis player, but is not an actual real-life jerk. I want that person. <laughs> who's that person? <laughs> you know? um, someone who just gets under people's skin on court and sort of turns half the crowd against them, but is an amazing tennis player. But off the court, they're not like an abusive monster <laughs> yeah what about your favorite young italian man yeah berrettini uh lorenzo massetti <laughs> no, uh, no, no, yeah. that's right. italian is berrettini but yeah right. No, you're right you're, 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 you're right that is that is what i'm describing is maybe actually lorenzo massetti yeah <laughs> fun villain yeah yeah he could be a fun villain tennis for you. Player. yeah and i don't i don't like him all court but as long as he turns out to be a decent person then actually that could be my guy Mercedes a bit young to be a villain yet, right? Well, he's setting the tone early for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, f yeah. I can see Musetti lying down in a loop on my in my <laughs> mind's eye. Yeah. <laughs> Musetti beats Alex Dawson at the uh, Marrickville Tennis Club yeah. and lies down on the court. <laughs> um. I mean, but we've, we've talked about this, like it's, you know, with some of the really young guys, it just it takes some time for their personality to develop. I mm. couldn't stand Djokovic when he was 20, 21. Mm. Like I just thought he was so obnoxious and I really came to enjoy him as a person, like for all of his faults, you know, it's like still think Novak is a, is a compelling figure and fun to watch. And, you know, like he's just, and he's an amazing tennis player and you know, possibly the greatest to ever play on the men's side. 
So what do you think? Is he going to get it? Is he going to get the calendar slam? I don't think so. You don't? No, I don't think so. Something I don't, I don't feel, I don't think it's going to happen. Is that just kind of like, you're just preparing yourself, aren't you? And just in case he doesn't, like you do deep down <laughs> think that he can do it. No, I don't. I think other people have been on rolls. He hasn't been on, he hasn't won like a tournament for, I don't know how long since, what, Wimbledon is it? Uh, other people have been playing hardcore tournaments and winning and he hasn't. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel it. He hasn't played though, has he? Like he, he played the Olympics and then no. yeah. did he just skip everything else? Yeah. Yeah. So I, he's resting his body because he knew like yeah. at the end of the Olympics, he was just worn down to a, a shell of himself. I mean, he lost to Zverev and that spoiled his, uh, you know, his run at a golden slam. But he was clearly exhausted. I think the conditions there were super brutal and it kind of yeah. just wore him out. And, you know, he did the right thing. I think he knows his body well enough and I think he's going to be ready. But he doesn't have the best draw he's ever had because he could get no. Berrettini in a quarter and Zverev in the semi. Those are two big threats. Yeah. Well, I think I think both Tsitsipas and Medvedev are on the short list of people who could conceivably beat him. And they're both on the other side. But, you know, ideally, the, the good draw puts them all on the other side, right? You only mm. want to see one in the final. Um, what do you guys think about those two and their chances? Tsitsipas and Medvedev. Um, well, of course, Medvedev has to face Gasquet in the first round, so... This. Well, but Gasquet already had his U.S. Open, which was uh, in Winston Salem. Yeah, that's what I, I do. I do really feel that way. Like, um, he, he, the commentators were saying, you know, maybe he's he's saving himself for the U.S. Open by like tanking, giving up in that second set versus Rusevari in the quarters at um, Winston Salem. But yeah, so Medvedev almost certainly beat Gasquet in the first round, um, and Tsitsipas. Well, I like the way Sitsipas plays. He comes to the net and um, plays some serve and volley and uh, has a bit of an all-court game. I like both those players. I hope they go deep. Um, and they, yeah, they both could. They both could win. They both could win the U.S. Open. That's probably yeah. Um, that's a that's a real hot take. Yeah. <laughs> I take. I, I think. I think Medvedev and Zverev have better chances than Sitsipas on hard court. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I do. Th- I just think he's he's in the mix. Um, to to borrow another podcast uh, catchphrase, um, but I think Steph has a pretty tough draw actually. Like he, I mean, he's got Andy Murray in the first round, which he should definitely win that match. But that's not easy. Murray has no. won the title. He could he could end up with Alcaraz in the third. Umber is looming in the fourth, and they've got like a little bit of a of a fun rivalry going. Umber and Tsitsipas, yeah. they've played several like really competitive tight matches. Uh, just this year, they've they've played a couple, I think. And then Rublev would be the quarter. Um, so that is that's pretty brutal. Medvedev in the semi, he would really have to get on a roll. So I think. Um, it's harder for me to see him get into the final. I think Medvedev has a much more comfortable draw. I have Alex Paparin going to the fourth round. That's like one of my sleeper picks. Wow. Did he have to come through qualifying or did he get a... a no, they don't have qualies on my uh, on my draw sheet. Oh, he must have got his ranking up. Well, he would have to play Dimitrov in the second and I I just count out Dimitrov like everybody and then... Dan Evans in the third would be the seed, but Evans doesn't seem like he's been all that comfortable lately. I'm not sure. Um, Gasquet beat Evans, uh, yeah. for example. That was a great victory for Gasquet. I feel mm. like, you know, when a player's days are numbered, you really just, you take, you enjoy any little thing that they can do, like beating Dan Evans at Winston-Salem. That was a great match, though. That was just, that was no just little thing that was a great entertaining match from both yeah players. and you Super both of those guys playing against each other like they both have great court craft and both can hit a lot of different shots and slices mm-hmm. and come to net and stuff the two of them against each other is really a fascinating matchup yeah it's kind of a shame when these older players get those rough first round draws like uh Gasquet mm-hmm. seems to keep running into like like carlos suarez navarro seems to keep running into who is it that carla drew let's let's switch over to the women's side danielle rose collins yeah it's pretty tough i it's mean t- yeah it's tough i would love to see her win that like she's not far away you know even though she's on the brink of retirement every match match that she's played um she's been competitive and she's come up against some 
like you know she took Ash Barty to a tiebreak in the first round of Wimbledon. Mm. So God, it would yeah. be good if she could if she could win and have a run at the U.S. Open. Yeah, the skill level is certainly there. It's just I think it kind of gets back to what you're saying about Gasquet and you know what's true for a lot of these older players. It's just hard to keep it up. You know, she could play with Barty and pretend and win a set, but like at least on the women's side, it's still only you know two sets out of three. So that gives you a little bit more upset potential and maybe a better chance for an older player to go on a run. But uh, yeah, I, I would have to pick Collins in that matchup. I think she's been playing great and, and looks like somebody who can, on hard courts, can can go deep in these events. Yeah. Third round, Collins versus Sabalenka, that'll be great. Well, that would be um, a big back of the court duel, wouldn't it? Yep. And then, uh, potent- and then the winner potentially would be looking at Ons Jabur, who I think got a pretty comfortable route to the to the round of sixteen at least. Elise Mertens is the other seed in her in her section. I'm not seeing anybody who's all that much of a sleeper. She will have to get past Elise Cornet in the first round. That that can be tricky. Cornet yeah. can pull some high level stuff out. Camilla Georgie and uh, Simona Halep first round. That's the big one because. Georgie won a, she won a big tournament. Did she win Montreal or Toronto? Tur- Toronto. Yeah, the the women were in Toronto this year, Toronto, right? Toronto, or was right, it yeah. the men or were they? Ah, it doesn't. I think Canada. She won Canada. <laughs> and uh, it's funny, that whole thing. They only come together every every two years. Uh, the other year, the alternate year, they're separate, the men and the women. No, they don't play together in Canada. No, they're always separate. They just swap cities, yeah. Oh, they they swap cities and they're never in the same city at the same time. You know, it's it's a it's a Canadian thing. You know, they they try to keep the men and women apart for. <laughs> you know, they don't want any trouble. <laughs> um, but yeah, Halep like Halep feels like she's stalled out. I, I don't think she's had a really strong tournament in recent memory. I, I'm surprised she's still even a 12 seed. And Georgie looks. Uh, like she's coming in on form, so it's hard to pick Halep in that matchup, even though she's the more accomplished player historically. Well, Halep's only just come back, right? Yeah, but didn't she have to pull out of the last event? That's the other thing, is that there's uh, sort of uh, kind of lingering injury concern. It wasn't clear if she was going to be able to play in this event. I don't know. It'd be great to see her get back into, into form and be competing. But yeah, another top women's player who mm. it's kind of hard to like I, I kind of lost the faith like with Andreescu but it's all recency bias right like Ash Barty looks like the dominant player on the women's side but you know she also she lost in the first round at the Olympics she's not unstoppable actually um, yeah, she's, she's not but like the Olympics she was exhausted from Wimbledon, Wimbledon playing all of those matches uh, you know Navratilova has her as a 50-50 chance of winning the tournament Wow. She's like 50 body, 50 everyone else. Yeah, that's a that's a strong endorsement. I mean, I feel like her her section's fairly comfortable, you know, looking at possible opponents like Clara Tossen, Kudermitova or Sersteya, Kersteya maybe, uh, Mukova or Jen Brady. Jen Brady hasn't been in form. She's another mm. seed in that part of the draw. Um, I have Pagula getting through to the quarterfinals, which is not exactly like a really strong pick. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but you know, I don't know. Um, the the women's side, I think, will like. All, it seems to always be the case. Tends to produce a lot more surprises, right? Yeah. Like, uh, less predictable, more breakthroughs. Like Jill Teichman just had this great run. Yeah. Uh, where she beat Naomi Osaka and got to the final. Uh, what was that? I think was that Cincinnati. That might yeah. have been Cincinnati. That well, must be. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just like out of nowhere. And um, she was looking good. So mm. we'll, we'll see if that carries over. Sometimes you get players who have these like breakthrough performances. Yeah. They come in off a title and then they, you know. But who beat Jill Teichman in the final there at Cincinnati? Body. Yeah. Body. That's right. Um, Maria Sacchetti got to the 70s. Look at her draw. She's got... No one really in the first section to get to the third round. Um, oh, it could be the Viz there, actually. That could be a thing. 
Yeah, that could be a thing. Uh, Samsonova maybe is who I have in the fourth beating Andreescu. I think um, I actually picked, I, I'm not totally sure why I did this. I picked Bedosa over Sakari in the quarters. Uh, huh. Bedosa's been in form. You got Pliskova there, but I feel like Pliskova is kind of primed for a little bit of a swoon. She seems to keep losing finals anyway, so yeah. it's hard to hard to pick her to go all the way. But Yeah, that could be a thing. Hey, Chunga Liddy qualified. Uh, good. I'm glad. Does he does he drive with his grandma to the yeah. U.S. Open? That's sort of the, the Chunga Liddy move. He doesn't need to because he's not going to be a lucky loser in another country. He's going to be a, a bona fide qualifier. Ah, yes, that's right. That's why he had to drive because he was like already giving up and moving on to the next thing and then got yeah. summoned. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, is it, Are qualies over now? Yeah, they're just finishing. There's still a few matches going, like Sagita and Karlovic uh, battling it out to see who'll qualify. Karlovic, couple of me, come on. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that one, Dawson. Like he, <laughs> he just like uh, he is so uninteresting to watch. I mean, the best thing about him is that Brad Gilbert nicknamed him Doctor Evo at one point. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty the, good. Literally. All I can say. Oh, also, Gulbis is playing for a spot. Yeah, I was about to say, he's going. Is he still in? Yeah, yeah. He... Uh, yeah, he's playing Quentin Alice right now. Yeah, that's the one I've been like, things pop up on Twitter or Instagram, whatever, that Gulbis is still in. Uh, apparently, he was having a blow up with the Hawkeye Lion system. He was like, this fucking lying, <laughs> stupid system. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, um, Radicani, you qualified? Yeah, oh, I saw cool. that. That's good. Yeah, it'll be, she's an interesting one to watch just because she had that great run, but then kind of had the, she struggled, you know, to kind of get through that match. Uh, I don't know, was it physical at all or was it just kind of the moment got to her playing on Wimbledon center court? I think it was like a panic attack. Okay, that's the moment getting to you. Yeah, Yeah, but I think there was some physical things like a heart rate through the roof and like full panic attack. It was a mental thing, but it resulted in a physical reaction, I think, yeah. That's even more of a reason to root for her, right? Like, just hate to see somebody kind of like show all that promise and kind of fall apart. Um, mm. And then, you know, like you can definitely get into a state where that shit stays with you, um, mm. especially for that to happen young. Okay, we're going to have an intermission, maybe uh, get a little popcorn. You're right back for the advertisements we wish we had. Yeah. Challenge <laughs> accepted. All right. Back from our lucrative commercial break. What are you guys doing with all that, that extra scratch? Um. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine. <laughs> I was trying to imagine what it would be like to be rich, but I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I think, I think if I turned on advertisements for our podcast... Uh, we'd probably rake in somewhere like 12 cents a year. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, probably buy a cup of coffee and move on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Leave, leave the, uh, the endorsement money as a tip, as a really poor tip. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, that's our strategy, right? <laughs> yeah. Can't even tip properly on a cup of coffee. We just, we just, we're just off the wall. We're just crazy. You know, we just don't even care about money or anything and eventually the money will come to us <laughs> yeah i think that's basically it you know like we do we just have to like practice our passion project and you know be try to be true artists and then someday it might it might be after we're dead somebody might discover all of our beautiful work and uh you know we'll be in museums probably the uh tennis podcast hall of fame <laughs> davy gravy will just accumulate the wealth for itself just pretending to be you and just just claim all those royalties and just accumulate as some kind of ai richness yeah you know he could potentially host the first entirely ai hosted tennis podcast yeah like we, we could have ai versions of all three of us talking about <laughs> tennis <laughs> <laughs> That would be something. Probably nobody would know about it because nobody knows we exist. Our, our listenership has been spiraling downward. I do want to give a shout out, though, to my physio, Victor. 
who is a major fan. Uh, I, I kind of want to get him on the pod at some point, you know, because that's that. that's how much we love our our fans. Um, Victor's Victor's a real prince and uh, has been working with me for years. And he he started listening, and he, you know, he's like a he's a sports savvy guy. He actually um, loaned me this uh, this amazing tennis book. It's called The Inner Game of Tennis by W. Timothy Galway. And it's oh. like it's like a, you know, a book about the mental part of the game. It looks really cool. Excited to read it. Does sound good. Yeah, I've I've got that book. Oh, what do you think of it? Um I like it. I, I think it it helps me I got it to improve my tennis game and uh, it's still very hard even when you're reading the stuff it's really hard to implement the right. wisdom that Galway has around tennis but have you read any of it yet? Well I just opened to a passage that I think is completely appropriate to what you just said so quoting Galway but even if the reader is wholly convinced of the value of thus stilling the mind he may find it difficult to blot out entirely these thinking processes the quiet mind cannot be achieved by means of intellectual understanding, only by the experience of peace in a moment when the mind is relatively still, is one sufficiently encouraged to let go more completely the next time. Mm. Yeah, it's it's very much like that. I mean, that's, I think, true of all uh, mindfulness practice, right? It's like you can understand it on a level and, and you can even practice it, but to be able to like summon it in the moment uh, in any difficult situation, that's another thing entirely. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because when you start getting worked up and adrenaline's flowing and you're getting a bit annoyed, it's hard to be like, okay, let's calm down, think strategically about what I'm about to do. <laughs> right. There's there's all these pressures like out there on the court, even for even for an amateur player. You know, like you're really yeah. in the moment physically, and you're you're in competition, and um, and you could get upset. Something didn't go your way. You were sure that you were going to win that point. You're arguing over a call. Like yeah. you're frustrated because you let an opportunity get away. Like, yeah. To kind of like circle back on the Radu Kanu story. It's like, you know, it seems like players these days, you know, often have mental coaches and are really like from the outset learning these skills and they, they realize how important they are, how valuable, but um, still to be able to execute it is, is another thing. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, She'll have, she'll find a way to to uh, overcome the the difficulty she had in that match at Wimbledon and go on to a good career. That would be cool yeah. to see. She's fun. Yeah, the, the Galway stuff is. Um, I think it's hard to implement because it's like uh, switching off. Like he talks about the two selves, that like this duality in the mind. There's one self is the one that's like analyzing and it's critical and is saying oh, I need to I need to shorten this the backswing on my backhand and I need to execute in this way and I need to come to net more and I need to move my wrist in this way to hit the shot and all this stuff and you know when you're trying to do things whilst your mind is thinking about all of these possibilities you know you just you get muddled and you and you get angry at yourself and you and you can't actually execute but the other self is like the self of the body where the body mm. has its own kind of natural instinct and reactions just by kind of uh, intuiting what it should do. Mm. And when you're able to turn off that first self, the critical self, and just let the body kind of behave how it wants to behave and hit the shot in the moment that it, that the body feels it should hit, you can, you get really surprising and, positive results but mm. how, how do you like we're so used to just thinking all the time and thinking through stuff and criticizing ourselves and turning all of that off and just letting it flow is um, very difficult thing to do yeah right it's also necessary to think at times right like you to be able to to think clearly in the moment you know like to plan your next move to to see the tactic in like as it's happening while you're present with your body um but not getting too attached to your your thought processes not getting too you know wrapped up in them the storytelling and the 
trying, you know, trying to plan out a, a strategy, you know, like it's that I think for a professional athlete, you're constantly probably having to walk that, that line or for an amateur, it doesn't, doesn't, it's not really that different. I think. Yeah. You still need to think you, you still, but you don't, you, you shouldn't overcomplicate your thoughts. Right. Thinking is one thing. Thinking clearly is like another entirely. I, I think I've spent a lot of my life thinking so much that I like, like kind of turn into like an anxious puddle of worry. You have to be able to like know when to, when to stop a line of thought or like how to carry it through and, you know, and let go of things. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's, that's a real challenging thing to do at times. Right. And you see players do that. Um, yeah, they, you know, like an important point where they should have won it and it's, you know, threatening to change the whole complexion of the match. They've lost an important game or an important set. Often mm. you can tell a player is just carrying that whole, that thinking with them into the next, into the next point and the next game. I think this is one of the aspects of watching live sport that is mo- that makes it so compelling for me personally. And, and this is, you know, it's like different from like watching like, you know, an esport, for example, where, you know, you're, you're just watching a video game. And like, obviously people are thinking and the same sort of things happen, right? Like people get, you know, wrapped up or distracted and, but to see it physically, like when you watch sports, you can see an athlete, you know, go on tilt, like you can see them suffer and you can like, you know, it's, it, there's a way of like relating to what they're going through, even though they're, they're playing this game in a, at a level that you can't, it's hard to comprehend almost. But that human response is so relatable. We all know what it's like. And it's also like cool to see people who are able to kind of work through that and succeed. You know, it's sort of inspirational to to see people like get really pissed off and then put it behind them. You know, like the, the anger of Novak Djokovic or like the way Mer- Andy Murray would just get so furious with himself, uh, you know, or, or like a McEnroe and then they just play better, you know. Um, Serena's kind of like that, right? Like she just berates herself. I don't really love that style of like how like furious she seems to be, but it's like, it's also, it's real and it's raw. And then somehow she turns that into, into the energy she needs to, to win a point or a game. It's incredible to witness. Love it. Yeah. And other players get all like, just keep an even temperament the whole time. Like, Bruce Savari against Gasquet was he was down a break mm. in the first set, but he just whether he was up or he was down, he just kept a constant positive level. Yeah, I should admire that, but uh, often I just I think it's just that I have trouble relating to it. You know, it's not my personality. It's it's harder for me to imagine how you become like that. Also, I kind of think like, you know, even the Rusevaris or the like the Nishikoris of the world the Ash Bardies, they're feeling it. They just happen to kind of like hide it a little bit better. Uh, Plishkova is probably an even better example. We were talking about them after the Wimbledon final, right? Like Plishkova and Bardi, how, they, you know, you could tell they were into it as a final and there's a ton on the line and, and it was competitive. But, you know, when they would get, when they would actually emote, they would like yell at the ground. You know, it's like so <laughs> unnatural for them to like, you know, actually show anything outwardly. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as fun. I guess it's not as fun to watch or it's not as relatable because most people aren't so contained and disciplined in their emotions. Well, I'm just like a brat and a sore loser. So I I grew up, you know, loving McEnroe and, you know, (laughs) kind of like, like some of that, that brattiness a little bit, you know, the, the indignance, like, how could this go against me? Like, how could I be losing to this person? I don't understand it. You know, like, Maybe not the qualities I want to emulate later in life, but that's how I was as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, I like seeing someone let out their frustrations and then it's it's impressive when they can move past it. I can rarely do that. <laughs> <laughs> you can move past your frustration or you can No, rarely. Rarely I can. Yeah. Oh, rarely, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. It ain't easy being human. <laughs> I've been playing against uh, my friend Steve, who Alex's friend as well, and um, uh, when there's a line call that I don't agree with, I'm like, Steve, the ball is clearly inside the line. Are you, 
are you serious? <laughs> um, I, and I've surprised myself about how much I care about the line call. Yeah, he's line calls. He's line calls the soft sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Does he listen to the podcast? Uh, I don't know. But now I try and treat that like uh, in general. I just say to myself, "Well, don't worry. You just have to back yourself to win the next point and forget about it." Like that's all I have to do now. I, I just I'm giving up arguing with people about those line calls. I'm like, whatever. I can win the next point. Yeah, really. That's good. That's good. That's a good way to be. Yeah, that's a really good attitude. I've been finding um, myself going over to the other side of the court and me pointing. I'm like, it was there. That's, <laughs> it wasn't even on the line. It was inside the line. Come on. I just try and serve it while they're still thinking about it. Try and take some advantage that way. Matt, uh, it's funny. That, you know, the one time when we had the, the tragic slam in, in Sydney, when I was up there, visited you guys, you did, you got pretty upset and you were like, I, I I mean I loved it. I love seeing the emotion, but you know you don't seem like that animated most of the time. Like knowing you as a friend, and you know like you you almost you, I think you apologized for it afterwards. So did I because I was also like getting kind of pissed <laughs> off, and it was like it's all fine. You know it's not like it's nothing nothing personal happened. But I wonder like do you think there's something performative about that for you? Um, I don't remember that. Did I get did I get a bit angry <laughs> at some of the calls? I think you were frustrated that you were like, you know, missing serves or something, like you were just getting a little mad. Um expressing yourself. You had a very like McEnroe vibe that day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I think um I definitely get out there. I might like my vibe when I'm talking to you about how tennis should be played. Yeah. I definitely think, you know, you should be even tempered and not worry about about it and it's just a game and everything. But when I get out there, like it's it's a chance to really do something or to to do my best and I get frustrated when I can't execute. And um so yeah, I, it takes me to another place. I really uh, sometimes I feel sorry for the people on the other side on the other courts when you know we're just playing recreationally and i'm like getting <laughs> right. all angry and like, i'm like wow this can't be nice for the other humans around is it important for you guys to win when you play yeah for me it is for sure yeah why why is that al uh i don't know i think just as soon as i start as soon as the scoring starts and the match starts like my competitive side just takes over and i just think that oh, well the goal now is to win um, right, and I just you know I lose even when it's just a even when it's not in a competition, and it's just a you know like what you would call a pickup game or whatever. Uh, I still afterwards I still like rue over the things the mistakes <laughs> I made and like ah oh, should have you know should have could have would have and get frustrated yeah but um I don't know I think I just enjoy the competitive feeling uh, and I still sort of enjoy it when I lose as well because I makes me makes me a bit more motivated to play them again and and win uh and fix right. that fix the errors yeah I don't know. yeah how about you man do you feel like it's important to win some sometimes i do but also other times because i lose a lot i lose more often than i win and um there's certain players like alex always beats me so if I'm playing against Alex and I'm competitive, I'll be pretty satisfied with that. Like if I'm winning games and I'm running him close, or if I win a set against him, I'm like, uh, I'd, yeah, I don't mind so much. And it's not, uh, I think like winning, yeah, I, I guess um, if I was playing tournaments or something, then maybe, and there was more on the line, like there would be, it, it would change a game. But for me, it's more about, just playing to a level that I can feel like I'm getting better hmm. and I'm not making, and I'm not being, I'm not regressing and I'm not doing stupid things. And if the other player is playing better, then I don't mind that. It's more like when you're beating yourself, that's, that's the annoying thing. That's when I get angry. Yeah. It can be tough. Cause I, I, I mean, I feel this way about almost everything all competitive games I've ever played, like 
you know, you don't always progress in a straight line, like, and you can get better and then plateau, right? Like you can, you can start playing something and learn like, oh, this is really good and rewarding. I mean, for me, running was great to discover because I could be competitive with myself and not other people. But then, but also in the first like six months of running, it was just almost like continual progress to like, like I just was getting better and faster and stronger all the time. And, but then kind of plateaued and then I got injured and now it's like this constant struggle just to like stay out there. And it, it hasn't lost its joy for me, but I think because it's something I can really just take on myself, it's just, it's just me trying to, you know, use my body, like be physical in a way that's rewarding and makes me feel good and has like, you know, has all these knock on benefits for me. Mm. Um, but I'm a, I'm a monster competitively. I mean, you guys didn't see it. Um, I mean, I, I do like, I try, I really do try to hide it. And I, you know, like if I'm playing people for the first time, I'm, I'm rarely going to get too upset because I, you know, you just don't know. Like, it's also, I, I lose most tennis matches I've ever played. So um, I kind of go into it with an expectation that um, it's going to be tough to win. But when I was doing like the tennis league in Australia that you guys turned me on to, mm. um, like, I would, I would play guys who I was, I, I kind of felt like I was better than them. Like, I was fitter. Uh, you know, and, and I would start playing better. Like maybe I, I won the first set in a couple of cases. Once I lost a match to a, to a man with one eye, um, <laughs> which <laughs> doesn't mean that he can't play. Right. That's, that's what you would think. And I, and in that case, it, I lost because my body let me down. Like I just hurt myself serving at one point and then I couldn't, like I was just trying to like get balls in play and I was hobbled and it was like, I clearly should have won that match. But, but right. I, I, I guess I asked like if it's important to win, cause I feel like it is important for me and I not entirely sure why I think it's just kind of like how I'm wired, you know, I, if I'm playing a game, of course I'm going to play it to win. Like, yeah. and why should I, why should I, be, I'm not going to be happy if I lose. I guess like, um, question, I just, as we're talking here, questioning whether like competition is something that's sort of hardwired into us but i don't think biologically i think it's you know society wise you know the whole system that we live under capitalism is about competition and then like sports i think reflects that kind of dominant system that we live under but it needn't be like that i mean we could be playing games for just uh, mutual enjoyment and and the the fun of it and that you know we could set up you can imagine we could set up games that have no clear winner or loser mm-hmm. and potentially they could be just as fun or funner than a game that involves someone winning and losing yeah right i i love i love my reaction was the same as david's tone just saying like yeah right that could be a thing <laughs> well no i think i think my tone belied how i felt a little bit but like um i just i was just gonna say i love that you brought it back to capitalism first <laughs> um second i like i i do think i mean i think a lot of people would say and i kind of lean this way i think capitalism reflects how we are to some degree not how we are entirely and i think you know it but it's just it's like a kind of dominant force and you could you could certainly argue that because this is like the environment we grow up in that it that it perpetuates a certain type of competitiveness that you know maybe veers into the unhealthy but I think there are like nat like natural reasons that human beings yeah want to win. Agree. You know, like we want the resources, we want the spouse and the children, and we want to protect the people who are close to us. And you know, these like really primal reasons are there. Like we channel it in weird ways. Exactly. People were people were fighting and trying to get ahead and trying to make the best for themselves and win way before any capitalist structure was set up. I, I think. Yeah, and I, and I. I kind of think that like we, you know, like, like in a sport or, or games more generally, like tend towards the competitive, you know, as it's like an outlet for a lot of that, 
feeling you know yeah. like we and even like you know professional sports spectator sports it's like we're just we're enjoying it vicariously like i care whether or not somebody wins why like yeah yeah um i guess i would say to all of that that um uh pre-class society like as in hunter-gatherer society and all of that um this these early societies were marked by a spirit of cooperation and um, a lack of clear hierarchies or, or divisions, whereas like one person's more important than the other, um, and and therefore self-interest wasn't um, part of the structure of the society. It was more about the collective interests, and um, it's only with the development of a surplus, like when farming techniques get better, for example, that you can have some people sit back and control like the grain supply or whatever. And there's other people that have to work, um, in order to survive and accumulate, you know, and get, get enough money to, to live while, you know, um, so it wasn't always thus is what I'm saying that we sort of competed with each other. I think so I would disagree with the human nature argument that like we're, we're, we're naturally competitive. I think it's sort of up for grabs what humanity is. We could be more of a cooperative society or we could be more of a competitive society. Um, and you know, it just sort of depends on, uh, the, the, where it takes us depending on like different, um, you think even in communities back then there was no leaders, it was just everyone on a fully equal playing field? No, I'm not saying there's no, there's no leadership. Like there was respected and, leadership, people respected for their knowledge and all of that, but that everyone played a, a role of, um, relative importance. Like everyone was considered important to the society and everyone, um, cooperated in a, in a kind of way for the, the benefit of the good. Whereas like of the uh, of the groups good and you you know pe people were respected but you don't think people were trying to trying to position themselves to become the leader and you don't think the women in those communities were trying to get the more stronger more attractive guys and things like that you don't think that was happening i mean like every society is a lot of different pre-class societies we're talking about you yeah know, some that's all i'm saying you're bringing it back to the way they functioned as a community but i'm with uh me we're talking about the just the actual interaction between those people. I think there was competition within those and on that level as well. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is that in pre-class societies, you see a range of different ways of behavior, um, before we have like this dominant system of capitalism where it's sort of, it is up for grabs the way society is organized and, um, there's no clear sort of mentality of wanting to get more. Actually, it doesn't make sense. Like these societies need to cooperate in order to survive. There's no surplus. Everyone needs to play a part um, and help each other. Basically, it doesn't make sense to be competing with each other, like to try and get more. It's about feeding back into the collective good. Well, I will say that, like, if if we look towards the future, or or even just like you know, examine the kind of the state of the world today, I do think, you know, we have the capacity. The human race, civilization, has the capacity to feed, clothe, house everybody right. on the planet, and the and and perhaps the only reason we don't successfully do that is because of some of these existing structures. I think I'm not like I think we're going to probably disagree about some of the like historical arguments or maybe like the the aspects yeah. of human nature that tie into this. Yeah, but I I do think it's worth thinking about like well, what is a better world that we want to build because i think we do have choice there's agency you know we we can try to shift the culture we can raise children to have values that are different um i you know it's funny i like in my work you know the, the video game industry is often kind of toxic and i think a lot of people w inside of the industry even if they have personal values that are different they can kind of like talk about it like well this is just this is what people want they just they want violent competitive shooter games you know they don't 
But there's also there is also a big appetite for cooperative play. And I think you do see a lot more cooperative play and appetite for cooperative play in in video games as opposed to like as opposed to sport. I I can't think of a sport that is like really, truly cooperative. And um, I don't know, lately I've been inspired by a couple of TV shows I've watched during the last year, like the first one being the the Great British Bake Off. And like, you know, I've watched like a half dozen spinoffs. It's still a competitive structure and it's still kind of competitive, but there's like a cooperative, supportive, you know, like wholesome, friendly environment that that feels really nice, like as a contrast to so much of the stuff in our culture and so much of the like sporty stuff that I tend to dig into. Um, and then I, I started watching the show Taskmaster recently. Have you guys seen Taskmaster? I've heard about it. I haven't seen it though. It's no. great. Yeah, I strongly recommend checking it out. It's like a British uh, comedy show. Like, it's, I guess they call them panel shows sometimes. Like, yeah. you know, there's there's a couple hosts and there's a format. It's sort of like a game show, and they are they are playing a game, and there are points that are assigned subjectively by the taskmaster based on how well the contestants like perform the tasks, which is often kind of arbitrary. Like sometimes it's you know there's something specific they're trying to do and the person who does it the best gets the points but sometimes it's just like you know there are creative tasks or people kind of get points just for like having like ridiculous roundabout solutions to problems and um and at the end of the show they they pronounce a winner and it's like this doesn't matter at all (laughs) like why is there even a winner here (laughs) like yeah yeah, um yeah you guys should check it out it's great yeah i'd like to uh Great talking to you guys. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for the chat, Dave and Alex. Ooh. Yeah, so and uh, hopefully we we can find a time to chat while I'm in New York. So jealous. It's going to be so good. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, how are you guys doing with all the lockdown stuff? Obviously, you're getting out for some tennis at least, so you're not strictly in your house, but it yeah. seems a little I'm rough. still on campus at the uni, so it's... Not so crazy for me, actually. Still getting to go to work and play tennis, so not feeling too bad. That's good. Yeah. Mm, also, um, I'm using this app called Rando Nordica. It's like based on the the French situationists of the mid 20th century. Their concept of the dérivé, which is like where you where you navigate the city, but instead of having like a fixed point that you want to go to or a route that you normally travel, you, you, you try and be a bit more aware of your surroundings and take more circuitous mm. routes for just the pleasure of it. So this app, uh, Randonautica, it takes you to unexpected places and you kind of abandon yourself to the app and then you, you end up discovering, like, because we've got a five-kilometer radius Yeah, right. we're allowed to... Um, to travel within for exercise um you just set that radius on the app and then you go on a journey and it like the other day it took me to um these abandoned railway tracks in lewisham and then i found a canal and i did like i jumped a few fences and went to interesting places and it was um yeah i've done that a few more times that's that's i'm finding joy in walking during you know when there's nothing, mm. nothing else to do I love that. I got to check it out. Do you know if it works everywhere? Yeah, I think it's um and because there's a there's a function where you see where other people have been, they send in photos, so it look, looks like all around the world um people are using it. I'll send it to you. Yeah, excellent. I've been actually trying to do more walking myself. I think partially because I'm still struggling a bit with my knee and um so the running has been kind of in fits and starts and it's hard to get to the pool all the time and like also, when I was I was in San Francisco a few weeks ago, and it was like, um, I don't really love San Francisco, but we, you know, and I got sick, but like we walked everywhere, and it was just I don't know, I like doing that, and I think sometimes in Austin because I'm I've been in the same house for almost twenty years, it's like nothing seems new, and I'm always walking the same routes, so I love the idea of that. I gotta check it out. Yeah, and I was thinking it would be really good in a city like New York, actually, even just forgetting that oh, you yeah. were traveling there. Because um, it must be such a yeah vast uh, kind of um, intimidating city that it would be great to just abandon yourself to some algorithm and then just see where it takes you. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm staying, I'm actually, one of the things I'm most excited about is staying in Flushing again. Cause it's like the, mm. it's like the real Chinatown. Like there's the Chinatown in Manhattan, but like that, it, it almost feels like that's like the old one. And the new one is, is out in Flushing. And, uh, I stayed there once before and yeah, it's just like, a, it's like being, it's like being in China. I mean, it's 90% plus Chinese people. Mm. Uh, the food is amazing and it just, yeah, you just feel like you're in a totally different city and you can get that a lot in New York, like just going from neighborhood to neighborhood. So, um, yeah, I definitely, I'll check it out before, before I go up there. The tennis tragic in no way supports the alleged conduct of Alexander Zverev. If you or someone you know has been a victim of domestic violence in the United States, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline on 1-800-799-SAFE. In Australia, you can call 1-800-RESPECT for the National Sexual Assault Domestic and Family Violence Counselling Service. Both services run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Tennis Tragic thanks you for listening. All correspondence and feedback can be directed to Tennis Tragic Pod at gmail.com and our Instagram is at tennistragicpod.